last year, there was a book released by a U.S. senator by the name of Ben Sass from Nebraska. And it has an interesting title. It's simply called Them. And then it has a subtitle below it, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. And in the opening chapter of his book, which is called The Loneliness Epidemic, he makes an interesting contention. He argues that there is a growing consensus among scholars and experts that loneliness, not obesity, not cancer, not heart disease, but rather loneliness is our nation's number one health epidemic, our, our, our number one crisis. And listen to this description of the book. Something is wrong, and we all know it. American life expect expectancy is declining for a third straight year. Birth rates are dropping. Nearly half of us think the other political party isn't just wrong, they're evil. We're the richest country in history, but we've never been more pessimistic. What's causing this despair? In them, Ben Sass argues that contrary to conventional wisdom, our crisis isn't really about politics. It's that we're so lonely we can't see straight, and it bubbles out as anger. As traditional tribes of place evaporate, we rally against common enemies so that we can feel a part of a team. We're in danger of half of us believing different facts than the other half, and the digital revolution throws gas on the fire. Local communities are collapsing. Across the nation, little leagues are disappearing. Rotary clubs are dwindling. In all likelihood, we don't know the neighbors two doors down. There's a path forward, he says, but reversing our decline requires something radical, a rediscovery of real places and human-to-human -human relationships. And then concludes by saying this, America wants you to be happy, but more urgently, America needs you to love your neighbor and connect with your community. Now, I don't know whether you agree with Ben Sass and his politics or even his assessment of the, the epidemic loneliness that, that he says that we're facing, but surely he's right about this one thing. We need to love our neighbors. We need to be rooted and connected with our local community. And I don't know whether he's intentionally echoing or unintentionally echoing uh, one of the great themes of Jesus, but when you look at the life of Jesus, central to his teaching is that we were created to love one another, not hate one another. We we're meant to be known and, and to know others. At Mercy Hill Church this summer, we've been in a series called Life Together, and we've been exploring a new way of being human together that results in following Jesus. Jesus brings us into relationship with God, and he brings us into new relationship with one another, and he blazons a path for us to live out a new way of being human with one another, one that, that is patient and kind, that is clothed in compassion, one that loves one another well. And so we've been looking at what we've been calling the one another directives of the New Testament documents, these documents written by the followers of Jesus in the first century, and we've looked at some of these commands. Be devoted to one another, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, welcome one another, show hospitality to one another, forgive one another. That's where we've been tracking all summer. And all of this is built upon the foundation of understanding how God has done all of this for us. When the early followers of Jesus understood the gospel and realized how devoted he was to them, they became devoted to one another. When they understand how much God loved this world and, and gave us his only son, then they began to love one another in new and creative ways. Same thing with serve, encourage, welcome, hospitality, and, and forgiving one another. This is an, a new way of being human. And so we've been saying all summer that our default mode should be we instead of me. 
And for those of us living in 21st century America, this is a real challenge because we like our default mode to be set to me. That's kind of how we approach life. But we see that Jesus himself begins to call us out of ourselves into a different way of viewing life around us and a new way of viewing the community of faith and local churches that gather together. So today we're going to take one more step in this series in a message called Counsel One Another. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. But as we get ready to to look at this passage, let's just pause and, and pray one more time and ask God to be our teacher this morning. Let's pray. Father, we we look around at this nation that we live in, and we do know that something is is fundamentally wrong and broken, not just with our our nation, but our humanity. It seems like we're we're so quick to be triggered and so easily suspect one another and and so easily hate one another. And then it boils over in our own lives as well. Help us to to understand the good news of Jesus and your movement toward us. Help us to understand how you became devoted to us in the person of Jesus, how you loved us, how you served us at our greatest need, which is to have our sins forgiven and to be reconciled to you. And help us to understand how a a new way of being human that can be called simply a new creation flows from that. Help us to understand this passage, which we're getting ready to look at, and to learn how you want us to be with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a quick reminder of how uh, Paul has been laying out his argument in this this letter called the Romans. He's been this handpicked ambassador of Jesus, has been describing the great plan of God in coming to redeem and rescue this creation from his, his intent to redeem individual sinners to his cosmic intent to renew this entire cosmos. And so he turns a corner in, in chapter 12 and begins talking about the implications of how that should be lived out uh, among one another. And then he gets to chapter 15, and he has a couple one another commands. We're going to just back up a little bit and look at this and get the context here. He, he writes to these early followers of Jesus these words. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here the apostle says, look, if you get the gospel of Jesus, if you understand how that should change you from the inside out, then there's a certain way of being human that we ought to have with one another. We ought to to strive to live in harmony with each other in accordance to what Jesus Christ has taught us so that we can actually glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can talk about his great salvation. And so this was a real experiment in the first century world. Wherever the message of the gospel of Jesus went, these new communities of faith formed, and they formed across natural lines of division. You had men and women coming together, slave and free, old and young, rich and poor, coming together in these new communities of faith where the only thing that bound them together was their faith in Jesus. And so here Paul tells them, may the God of endurance grant you to live in such harmony with one another. And then he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And that is a high bar. That's a high bar for those who were free interacting with those who were slaves. That was a high bar in cultures where men and women didn't talk to one another in public to come together and have communion with one another in the fellowship of Jesus. 
And then he says in verse 14, these words, and we're going to focus in on this passage today. He said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This is an interesting statement that he makes here. He's writing to these local communities of Jesus, and he says to them, I am satisfied about this. You yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That word instruct is an interesting word in the original language. It can take on a number of different connotations depending on the context. It can mean to exhort or to teach, to admonish or to warn, to advise or or to give counsel. The Apostle Paul had spent three years in a place uh, called Ephesus, teaching people about the gospel of Jesus. And he's about to, to go on his way to start other communities of faith. And this is what he said. I did not shrink from giving you the whole counsel of God. For three years, I did not cease night and day or night or day to admonish you with tears. Here's that same word used in this context. Paul is able to describe his whole existence with these new Christians following Jesus in a place called Ephesus. That it was all about counseling, admonishing them, instructing them, advising them about what it means to live out this new life of faith. And so the word in my English translation that I'm using is instruct. I think a good way of of using this word is to think about it in terms of counsel. Now, both of these words, I think, are fraught a little bit in our cultural context. When we think of someone instructing others, we think of maybe a professor at the front of a class instilling knowledge to others who just kind of passively receive that. But if you use the word counsel, we think of a specialized domain of of knowledge by which you go see a professional to help you deal with with your problems. And, And both of those words can have those connotations. But when Paul uses it here, he's using it in the a non professional way of just ordinary average people being able to do this. He says, I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to give counsel to one another. In other words, they're not trying to follow Jesus on their own. They're leaning into one another. And their community of faith, their their brothers and sisters in Christ, are, are able to encourage them and to give counsel to one another. So why does Paul think that they can do that? I mean, he's not writing to the seminary professors among them. He's not writing to the pastors and the elders among them, although they're included in that. He's not talking about people who have specialized degrees and being able to to give counsel to one another. These are ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill folks eking out an existence in first century Rome. And he tells them, you all are able to give counsel to one another in following the Lord Jesus Christ. So why does he say this? Let's just take apart this verse and make a couple of important notes. They're able to do this because they're displaying Christ-like character. He says to them, you yourselves are full of goodness. And what do you think about when you hear that phrase, full of goodness? Isn't there something, especially if you've been in Christian circles, that would make you want to say, Paul, you sure want to say that? (laughs) That these people are full of goodness? I mean, didn't you say earlier in this passage, something or this uh, this letter, something entirely different? For example, didn't you say, Paul, in Romans chapter 3, that no one is righteous, no, not one. No one does good, not even one, for all have sinned. 
And that's the same Paul earlier in the letter who now tells these early followers of Jesus that they are full of goodness. Now, Paul knows what he's doing here. He's he's not misspeaking. He does believe they are full of goodness. In this passage in Romans 3, he's describing the natural condition of humanity in its relationship to God. No one before the Lord is righteous in and of themselves. No one does what he has designed them to do. Not even one. That spiritual good that we are designed to fulfill, we don't do. In fact, everyone, Jew, Gentile, spiritual, non-spiritual, religious or non-religious, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Theologians talk about us being curved in on ourselves. Instead of loving God first and foremost with everything we've got and our neighbors ourselves, we look out for number one. We love ourselves with everything we've got and our neighbor, if it's convenient, and God, if we think about it. Paul, in in another place, in in writing to a group of Christians living in Galatia, talks about how the natural condition of humanity is such that it just takes us off the rails. He he talks about this being the works of our flesh or the works of, of a sinful nature. He says this in Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. When mankind gets tuned into itself, when it does what it wants to do, when it says, no, God, I'm going to call the shots, our life goes off track in a thousand different ways. And Paul says, these are the works of the flesh. We might put it like this. Our self-centered nature affects and infects every part of our humanity, from the relational to the social to the spiritual. Every part of our being as humans is contaminated with this selfish strand of humanity. So, So Paul has that kind of background in mind when he tells these followers in Rome that they are full of goodness. What gives here? Well, if we track along in the book of Romans, Paul tells us these words. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not count his sin. Ah, so Paul says, look, the natural bent of humanity is is curved in on itself. It's in rebellion against the Lord. It doesn't do what we're designed to do, loving God and loving others. But those very sins, those transgressions, Those violations of the way we're designed can be forgiven. And he tells them that they have been forgiven. And so now there's a a new humanity that that can come about. And Paul describes this actually in that same book of Galatians we're just looking about in terms of fruit of the Spirit. When the the Spirit of God comes and indwells a follower of Jesus, there's certain things that happen. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness and self-control. So here, we're seeing that when God actually begins to transform a person, when his spirit begins making them new creations in Christ, they become full of a new way of being human, one that looks like Jesus, one in which goodness now becomes a leading trait. And all this is another way of saying that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What God wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in my life is to make us more like Jesus. Jesus is the quintessential human being. 
He's the one who did love God with everything he's got, he had, and, and his neighbor as himself. He's the one who showed us a new way of being human. And so when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, when God's spirit begins to work in us, it renovates us so that we become full of goodness. That's something that we can say. So I might be able to say, for example, my friend Aaron, he's a good guy. And we don't have to jump in and go, wait a minute, Aaron is a sinner. He's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He's, he's full of himself. I mean, he is a dirty, rotten scoundrel, sinner, full of himself sometimes. And I can say that because I love him and he knows I'm the same way. But God is at work in his life. We can say that Aaron is, is a good guy because of what Jesus is doing in his life. We can hold those two thoughts in tension. I didn't tell you I was going to do that, so. Okay, it's true. Okay. <laughs> All right. So he says, you're able to give counsel to one another because you yourselves are full of goodness. That is, you're reflecting the character of Jesus. And that's one of the ways that you can actually encourage one another and give good, wise counsel. It's because you are growing in Christ-like character. But the other thing that he highlights here is that they employ a specific knowledge. He tells them that they're, they're filled with all knowledge. Now, if we're just to take that phrase out of context and go, wait a minute, is he saying that they know everything? We might be led to think that, but that's not what he's saying at all. I mean, they were living in first century Rome, and their knowledge compared to our knowledge was relatively small. We've had this explosion of knowledge. So we look back then and say, how could Paul say that? Paul is speaking about a specific kind of knowledge. He's already told these Roman Christians, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The way their minds are renewed is by bringing their story in line with the story of Jesus. To enter into this great story that God is telling about the redemption of all things in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, remember, at this time, they didn't even have the New Testament. This was a community of faith formed around the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Probably many of them didn't even have the Old Testament. But what they lived into and what they were transformed by was the good news of Jesus and how he taught us to think about our humanity and God and our relationship with him and how we ought to live as human beings. The apostle Peter put it like this. He said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It's interesting how he ties those two together, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises. Here the apostle Peter, writing to Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor, tells them, look, God has already given you everything that you need for this life and for godliness, that is for pursuing life in Jesus. Paul, talking about Christians in Colossae, talking about how his mission is to present everyone mature in Christ, said he did this so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How these early followers of Jesus are able to give counsel to one another in following the Lord Jesus is because they are imbibing the mystery of God, which Paul says here is Jesus Christ. As we 
live more and more into the story of Jesus, we become more and more able to encourage one another in following Jesus. Tim Keller, a pastor and author, said this. The gospel, that is the good news about Jesus, is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. In other words, the gospel of Jesus isn't just the news about how you begin the Christian life through the repentance of sins and faith in God, but it's also how you continue. So in many ways, growing as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is going deeper and deeper into the gospel, the good news about his son, to understand that more and more. It's like a, a multifaceted diamond. The more that we twist it around and look at it with all the, the different angles of light coming into it, the more it illuminates our own life as well. Scotty Smith, another pastor and author, echoing Tim Keller, put it like this. There is simply no basis for ever saying, I've got the gospel, now what's next? Indeed, the gospel is the ABCs of this life of grace. It's the A to Z, the Alpha and the Omega, the prelude through the closing credits, the appetizer through the dessert. Now, if we begin to understand this, we can see why Paul says to these early Christians living in Rome, you guys are filled with all knowledge. He's not talking about them knowing everything. He's talking about the specific knowledge that they have about what it means to be human by following Jesus. And because they know that, because they're growing in that, because they're beginning to flesh that out with one another, they're in a unique position to encourage one another and give one another counsel in following Jesus. Paul would also say to the Colossians this. This is interesting. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. There's that, that word admonishing is that same word for counsel or to instruct. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here he envisions a community in which the word of Christ, that is the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, is dwelling in them richly. In fact, if we were to do a Texas translation of this verse, it would say, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. It's a vision of life together, of a community that's being built upon the foundation of Jesus. And this new edifice of this new way of being human is built upon that foundation. It's interesting here that he says that we do this in both the ways that we teach one another and admonish one another, counsel one another. We do this with all wisdom, but we also do it when we sing, when we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs when we give thanks to God, when we reorient ourselves. So that's why when we, when we sing here at Mercy Hill Church, we try to sing songs that are rich in gospel content. That's why we're not apologetic about putting scripture out in front of us from the very beginning of the service to the very end because we want to indwell this story of Jesus, this good news of him. So if we could summarize so far what we think Paul is saying here, it'd be something like this. Your Christ-like character, the fact that you're full of goodness, and your growing understanding of the gospel of Jesus, that you are full of all knowledge, enable you to give counsel to one another. My friends, we desperately need this. We desperately need this. Our lives as followers of Jesus, for those of us who cross that line into faith in Christ, are in many ways dependent on our community with one another. So just a couple points of application here as, as we think about this. We desperately need to be people in whom the word of Christ dwells. We need to be people who are mastered by the gospel of Jesus, the good news of God's son and what he's done to redeem and rescue this world. And so that's why your spiritual health 
impacts the spiritual health of this community of faith. That's why my spiritual health impacts this community of faith here. We're meant to, to grow up together as followers of Jesus. And so that's why it's important that each one of us take personal responsibility for our own growth. There's a fellow named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who once wrote these words. He said, because I'm a Christian, every day I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's word in the Holy Scriptures is a lost day for me. Here's a man who understood that one of his primary goals in life, one of the responsibilities that he has is to grow in his understanding of the gospel of Jesus in God's word contained in the Holy Scripture. And my friends, this is a lifelong project, by the way. This is something that, that, that we are always beginning to learn about. I, I, I had the privilege of being able to go to seminary, to take three years of my life to go and study under some, some incredibly knowledgeable and golly men. And when I graduated at the end of that three years, at age 29, they handed me a diploma that said, Master of Divinity. And I kind of wanted to laugh because I'm like, it means a master of divine things. And, and what I did was I went to class and I passed. But I think that master divinity should be something that we grant to someone who's walked with Jesus for their whole life, who, who've walked with him through the ups and downs of life, who spent an entire lifetime mastering the story of Jesus contained for us in the scriptures. All of us, in many ways, are, are just beginning in that. Whether we've been walking with Christ for many, many years or whether we're just starting now. We all have room to grow, and that's why we need one another. So we need to be constantly dwelling in the story of Jesus so that the story of Jesus dwells constantly in us. But we also desperately need the wise counsel and encouragement of one another. Now, as we said on several occasions, the good news about Jesus is that each and every one of us can be reconciled to God. And because of what Jesus did for us, we can have the forgiveness of sins and be brought into a new relationship with God. So at, at the heart of the, the message of Christianity is that you can have a personal relationship with God. But the way we typically interpret that here in America is that we have a private relationship with God. My friends, you, you can read the New Testament and you would never come away with that. We're meant to have a communal relationship with God through Jesus Christ as well. And we're meant to need one another. In fact, Jesus has so designed it that your growth as a follower of Jesus is dependent on your connection with others. Can you be a Christian and, and not connected to community or to have others who are pouring into you? Yes, but you're, you're, you're not going to thrive, not like you're meant to. You're meant to be in community with other followers of Jesus so that you can give wise counsel and receive wise counsel. You can encourage one another in following him. The book of Proverbs teach us, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Or again, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. My friends, there's, there's some great ways of, of putting this into play. One of the ways that we want to see us help counsel one another and give encouragement to one another is through life groups. 
And as we're going to start these back up in September, this is a great way for us to, to get around one another and to bring our lives back in connection with each other. We've got so many things that pull our lives apart and pull us in different ways. Life groups are, are one of the ways that we seek to, to bring our lives back into contact with one another and to grow in our understanding of the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And so that's, that's a great way. And if, if you haven't had an opportunity to do so, let me encourage you this fall to look into those. This is a, a great way to to practice this passage. But there's also opportunities in, in just folks getting together in what we call triads or quads. These are groups of three or, or four people who intentionally get together and encourage one another to check on one another and say, hey, how are you doing? How are things between you and God? Where do you need encouragement? Where are you struggling? And these are, these are great ways to do that. And of course, in one-to-one -one conversations. There's few things that bring me greater joys when I hear people in this congregation getting together for lunch with one another or getting together for tea or coffee or beer or something and, and encouraging one another in Christ. We're, we're meant to need each other. And so leaning into this community through these avenues are, are great ways of doing that. Okay, and here's the last point. We desperately need to be filled with the goodness of Jesus. We desperately need to be conformed more and more to his image. The ways that we can trust one another and the counsel that we give is to know that God is at work in each one of us, filling us with his spirit so that goodness is issuing forth. I was having a conversation with a, with a person this last week who was telling me that in, a, in another context, they were at um, a church meeting, and it was a business meeting, and it got really cantankerous, and some people were getting up to, to read some passages of scripture, trying to quiet everyone down, and folks were yelling, sit down and shut up. And I was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. I know this, this really happened. I thought, how is it that people say they follow Jesus or in many ways have, have done so for, for many decades and yet end up more mean, more divisive, more angry at people? I'm afraid sometimes that our churches are filled with people who are fans of Jesus when they like what he says, but they're not really disciples who are intent on following him no matter what the cost. We're told to, to put on compassion, kindness, gentleness with one another, goodness. This isn't an option. This is exactly how Jesus desires for us to, to follow him. We should be different because we are following Jesus, his goodness is welling up within us. And when that happens, my friends, the effects upon our own lives as individuals is simply flourishing. We begin to lean into one another. We begin to feel like we're not in this by ourselves. We begin to think that, hey, this person has my back. I can call them and know that they're praying for me. Or, or they would drop everything and, and come help me if I need it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, once again, he said in his book, Life Together, it is simply not to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. My friends, let's not take the freedom that we have in this country at this point in time for granted. There are, are many followers of Jesus around this world where it costs them significantly to gather together with others. Some of them do so at the risk of their own lives. And so while we have the freedom that we have in this country to gather together, not just on a Sunday morning, but other places like in life groups or triads or one-to-one or -one meetings, let's do that. Let's lean into one another so that we can encourage one another and to give good, wise counsel 
into one another's lives. We need to do this because as we follow Jesus, he changes our default mode from me to we. And so my friends, are we growing in that? Are we growing in being devoted to one another and loving one another and serving one another and forgiving one another and encouraging one another and counseling one another? My friends, I need this and you need this as well. So Mercy Hill Church, may you excel in goodness, knowledge, and the ability to give counsel to one another. 